Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the Band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 174 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Stephen Richards from Taproot, I want to remind you about all of the features of MistressCarrie.com. Not only can you find all the episodes of the Mistress Carrie podcast and all the episodes of my video show, Cocktails in the War Room, you can also check out the concert and events calendar that lists all of the rock shows coming through New England. My blog is on the website and you can send me a message right here into the studio and shop in the online Mistress Carrie store where you can find new 70s retro three-quarter sleeve baseball jerseys, plus everything from pint glasses and coffee mugs to t-shirts, beanies, hoodies, and so much more. Just log on to mistresscarrie.com. The guys from Taproot are back with a brand new album that came out on September 29th called Scissors. And the new single, Favorite Song, features Elias Soriano from Nonpoint, who was my guest recently on episode 164 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And after Taproot's set at the Blue Ridge Rock Fest was canceled due to weather, Steven Richards and the rest of the band bumped into an old friend of mine and we ended up getting reconnected. We talked all about the festival and bowling with fans, the new album Scissors, growing up playing the drums, and how Steven is the most uncomfortable frontman in rock and roll. We also talked about a lot of the large-scale music festivals in the U.S. and the band's start on the OzFest. We talked about parenting and the soundtrack to his childhood. We talked about his love of ice hockey and some of the childhood trauma that he experienced that's reflected in Taproot's music. The guys from Taproot are getting ready to go back on the road with a stop at the vault in New Bedford, Massachusetts on November 2nd and at Wally's at Hampton Beach in New Hampshire on November 3rd. It was so great to reconnect with Stephen after all this time and find out all about the new era of Taproot. So, allow me to introduce you to Stephen Richards from Taproot. Hello, Mr. Richards. <laughs> Hello. How, how are you? I'm good. I'm trying to hit a button on this pop-up. It told me it's recording. Okay, I'm good now. I can see it. <laughs> how are you? Thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Oh, thank you for having me. You're like the uh, the go-to rock star interviewer. You're like that. You're like the female Howard Stern of my Aww. life. Like, I would like to think I'm a little bit prettier than Howard, but I'll take that. Oh yeah, no, but I mean, it's, in the in the music industry, you're you're the one. I mean, you you helped break us when we first started to matter whatsoever. So it's great to be back with you. It's awesome. Um, my tentacles go out because recently you guys got weathered out of Blue Ridge. <laughs> and you did something really cool where you just went on social media and you were like, Taproot fans come bowling with us. You set up shop in a bowling alley. And one of the guys that used to work with us at WAF in Boston was yep. at Blue Ridge and yep. showed up at the bowling alley and was like, you guys need to call Carrie. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> that so was crazy. Yeah. The tentacles go out everywhere. So we got to say what's up to Big Red because... He's the one yeah. that, like, I would have tracked you down eventually, but Big Red, acting as my producer, uh, made it happen faster than I would have. So Yeah, no, it was awesome. I was, like, passing him on the way. We'd, all, you know, talked to him a little bit that night, but then, like, as we were leaving and he was going back in, he was just like, I'm going to email Carrie for you. I'm like, please do. <laughs> I started getting text messages from him, and my first concern was, his safety because I knew how bad those storms were. So he's right. texting me and I'm like, dude, are you okay? And he's like, it sucks, man. They canceled the festival, but I'm bowling with taproot. They said, hi, <laughs> was like, I, I was, I wasn't bowling as much. I was partaking and hanging out with people. Ah. It, it was bad enough that, uh, I ended up doing a split second of a karaoke song before passing the mic. Everyone's like, sing poem, sing poem. I'm like, I'll start it, but here you go. I'm going to go back to the bar. Have yeah. fun. <laughs> What's your go-to karaoke song that's not a Taproot song? I do not have one. <laughs> I think I, <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I, I'm still a drummer at heart, and then I play guitar. I get stuck singing. So, like, aside from having stuck fun, singing. Yeah, I was a drummer of Taproot when we first started. I know. So, I don't know. Singing... You know, my joke is I don't sing unless I get paid. <laughs> oh, I see. So you're <laughs> just, most, you're a professional if you're getting paid. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll do it if I get paid. Right. If not, not because I'm an egotist. Like, I, I don't enjoy listening to my voice. It's like humiliating. Like when people ask for like acoustics, it makes me cringe because I, yeah, I'm, I'm not a great singer. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I used to be like that with my own voice when I started in radio. I'm sure. And I've been listening to it now for so many years that I just kind of deal with it. Yeah. But but listening to your own voice, you're just like, oh, man. But it always surprised me when I had bands in the studio to do acoustic stuff. How often people that make a living behind a microphone on stage in front of thousands of people are uncomfortable behind a microphone in a studio with just me. <laughs> right like the well, unknown like you guys can see the crowd but the yeah. unknown of like not knowing who's listening freaks bands out whereas the idea of getting up in front of thousands of people and singing is the most right. horrifying thing for me <laughs> for you <laughs> oh no have you heard yeah, my voice a, come on well, i don't yeah, sing no. no your voice is fine it's just awkward like the acoustic stuff it's just a little too revealing there's no you know if i'm on stage it sounds one thing when you're performing in a concert but when you're in a nice little 
tight studio and you can hear every little thing, like even your your gums flapping and stuff. It's very like, uh. Well, it's the difference between the person you go to bed with and the person you wake up with. Two totally different realities. Exactly. That's very true. It's very true. <laughs> well, I was very happy that that Big Red was texting me. So tell me what Blue Ridge was like from your perspective, because everybody's talking just about, you know, there were stories about how crazy it was, how bad the weather was, that the weather wasn't that bad. So what was it like yeah. for you guys? For us, we were playing Saturday, so we didn't drive down till Friday. We just drove Friday. Like the way we're doing the weekend warrior shows right now, we've got like three vehicles, guys coming from three states, like, and then we're all just joining together. So when we got there, we heard that the night before, like Thursday was just insane. Like, you know, huge lightning and tents were flying and everyone was stuck in the mud and couldn't, they had to wait like six hours to get out on the school buses and stuff. So we heard all that stuff, but then come Saturday, the day we were supposed to play, you know, we pull up into the venue and we've been told, you know, it's on delay because there was a thunderstorm early. Um, but by the time we got there, it was just like a little bit of trickles, nothing crazy. And, you know, back when we used to do a lot of like the Ozfest and the big outdoor pavilion shows, like you still played when it was raining. Like we, we got hit by lightning one time and that was like the only time like, okay, no, all right, time to stop. So we were kind of baffled that they weren't still going through with it. Like I'm sure, you know, the liability sake, they kind of just didn't want to I was going to say, there's a lot more lawyers involved now than there ever was. Right, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, we were not sure if we were playing. We were like, you know, maybe we'll push you back a little bit and then have you just shorten your set and stuff. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> like, we'll just play a couple of songs and have a good time. But, um yeah, it just got it got called, and that's when Tom went on the on the Facebook and said, "Hey, let's go do this instead." I was like, "Okay, yeah, whatever." But we went, and it was a blast. You know, we met couples that flew in from California, from Chicago, from Idaho, and what else? Fucking Utah. Well, that's <laughs> like, the thing about those big festival shows. You know, I remember, you know, fifteen years ago, having been to Woodstock '94 and '99. Wondering when the United States was really going to put these big festivals together to rival the famed festivals we always hear about in Europe. Europe, yeah. And now it seems that the United States has got some of these amazing festivals, yeah. but you are at the mercy of Mother Nature when it comes to whether or not they're going to happen. And if yeah. you really... it. These shows, these festivals are destination festivals. So people come from everywhere. Yeah. And then to get there and have the show get canceled for them after you flew and hotels and rental cars and tickets and camping. bar tabs <laughs> and camping and all of that stuff. Yeah, um, that's that's ha crazy. Having been at Woodstock 94 and camped out in the mud for days and days, uh, uh, I, you know, just, just suck it up. It's all part of the experience. For sure, for sure. Well, that's, that comes with the territory. It's half the fun, I guess, especially. Uh, I was kind of hoping if we did get up because we were doing our all-white garb, you know, just kind of bringing that back for a couple really important shows. So I was going to have the, the kids throw mud at us to ruin our <laughs> <laughs> Be careful. Like I said, I was at Woodstock 94. I saw what happened to Green Day and Nine Inch Nails at that show. Yeah, I've seen the footage. Yeah. Oh, it was a thing. Oh, yeah. It was a thing. So yeah. I haven't seen you guys since before the pandemic because that's kind of 
when everything changed. Not only, obviously, COVID shutting the world down, but WAF in Boston, the station that I used to work at where I met you, got sold. And so, you know, the big joke in New England is that AAF going off the air is what triggered the pandemic and it shut the world down because we're off the air. So it's taken me this long and still happening to reconnect with all of the bands that I got to know at Mm -hmm. WAF in Boston. Do you remember the first time Taproot came to Boston? Do you remember the first time we met? Uh, Vaguely. It's like... It was on those Ozfest shows, right? Yeah, I had to have been. I think it would have been the one in 2000, and you guys were AF, and you were like one of the first like driving forces behind us, like getting excited about radio. Like you know, people would be like, "Do you remember the first time you heard say again and again the first time you were ever on radio?" I'm like, "No, (laughs) (laughs) not not really." Um, But like, not like so when it like when I see your face again today, it's amazing. It reminds me of multiple times, not like I don't remember the first handshake by any means, but seeing you again is like an old friend. It's awesome. Yeah. We, we had a lot of good times. Those, those Ozfest years, that whole kind of idea, which I'm shocked that no one has stolen from Sharon yet of, <laughs> of putting these festival shows together with a second stage for up and coming bands. I, mm-hmm. I talked to Elias Soriano from Nonpoint recently, and we'll get to the song you guys did with him. But he and I had a really long discussion about, like, the new metal era, that late 90s, early 2000s era where Ozfest was the thing, and all of those bands were coming up, and what a resurgence it's having now. Right now, yeah. And to go back and look at all of those bands that came up in that era, for the most part, they're all still together and touring, which kind of shows, A, that the music was good, and B the longevity of the bands that they're all still getting it done. You guys included. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had a long break and, you know, it was kind of just the Blue Ridge is kind of what got us going. Obviously we're doing the record release here pretty soon next week. Um, But that's when we were kind of like, whoa, there's a lot of bands that we're familiar with. And then, you know, we ended up booking like 20 shows just because we hear the resurgence and then we're, kind of coming to the realization that it's, you know, it, it did take a dip for a while, but it's back because we're kind of forcing our music on our own children. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's full circle. Like the kids are back into us cause they're our kids and that's what, you know, they got forced to listen to growing up. Every generation has that exact concept. I call it the soundtrack to your childhood, right? There's the music that you get force fed as a kid by the cool uncle, your older siblings, your parents. And then there's music you discover on your own. It's like a line in the sand where you hear something and go, hold on a second, I like that. And that music is what kind of defines you. So for you, what's the soundtrack to your childhood? And then what was the music that you claimed as your own? Oh boy. I mean, it started really early. Like I love talking about the awkward days, like, growing up with my mom like i i was there when mtv first started so of course like my first two things i'm watching are billy idol and adamant and on the down low but to you and everyone watching i like would go put on like my mom's vests 
and like even some of her boots because <laughs> I wanted to look like Billy Idol and Adam Ant. So who didn't want to um, look like Billy Idol, man? He's still a badass and still looks yeah, great. I, you know, he still looks young too. Yeah, no. So like that was like early on, but uh, you know, for a while it was like Duran Duran. Then Motley Crue was like my go-to forever, and it's, it's really weird because growing up not having played an instrument i started playing drums when i was four but i wanted to get some sort of stringed instrument because for some reason my idols at the time were both john taylor and nikki six and then so going to the store i'm like i want one of those and he's like that's a bass guitar i'm like i don't know what the difference is but john and nikki six they're playing those so i want one of those so i didn't get a bass <laughs> i just stuck to drums for a while but um, well, but, a lot of drummers also grow up and, and realize really fast how inconvenient being a drummer is because you have the most gear and you oh, have man. to work the hardest. That's for sure. Yeah, I knew that until we until we got past the original version of Taproot and I got stuck singing. So <laughs> <laughs> that's full circle. Yeah, no, it's it's really cool to watch, though, too, now that Jared's back playing the shows and stuff. He, I had him bring out the kit that I you know helped them build like back in 2002 it's like the monster like why would you have this many drums but i'm like uh-uh we're bringing it i want all the i want all the drums so we're going for it that's fun and he's having a blast is there another drummer singer guitar player in the family does the musical does the musical influence come from other relatives or are you just the one that was like i want to be billy idol full stop <laughs> pretty pretty much no it was weird um you know, I grew up, my mom, it was weird. You know, she was 30 or whatever. She was dating like an 18 year old guy. <laughs> so I grew up around music that I don't really like by any means, but she noticed when I was maybe four, she noticed that like when I was just jamming along in the car, if there's a song on, I wasn't just doing like air drums like this. Like she noticed that I was like tapping like, and it looked like it made sense with what was being heard so that's when she got me a drum kit and was like holy cow like the first day i had it i was just jamming away like i kind of understood the whole kick snare thing and like that was just natural so i went from there and i've tried and can't do it so it's amazing no. to me that there are people as as much as i love music and i'm surrounded by musicians you know my i, I joke about it all the time my storied career in the marching band with the clarinet ended you know quickly because there are just people that inherently get it right and That's i'm just funny. not one of those people so for your mom to recognize an inherent sense of rhythm in you mm -hmm. and and also as a parent to kind of give you a productive way to channel that it's probably <laughs> right. not a bad idea no no it worked i mean between that and hockey i definitely got my frustration out <laughs> early years <laughs> did you grow up on skates too is that a thing from like, oh, yeah. I started skating at three and a half before I got the kit. And then I played hockey my whole life up until, until I injured my arm. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, depending on where you are in the country or like, you know, you talk to the theory guys that grew up in Canada, like there are kids that just grow up on skates. And then you talk to people that are like from warm weather states where they're just not exposed to, or at least they weren't back then. I think it's a little more accessible now, but that that ice skating was like something you may have done for Christmas or something, but it was right. you're like, no man, I yeah. grew up surfing. And it to people that grew up in cold weather places like you and I, 
That just seems so weird. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. No, but yeah, we're both from good hockey states. So yeah, no, I I started skating at three. Um, The most effed up story I can think of, I'll try to make it quick, but I got stuck playing high school hockey my senior year. I could have gone junior, whatever, but I played senior year high school. I win best defenseman, cool, whatever. So it's just the best defenseman trophy. 10 years later, I go to get my skate sharpened and I come across the, you know, the book with all the stats and stuff. And I go through and I see the name of who they named the best defenseman trophy after. And its name was a guy that I knew that died on my lawn. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. And growing up, we, he was only an acquaintance. He was two years older than me, but, uh, my buddy and I, we were playing hockey video game, go figure upstairs at night. And like, it felt like the earth was shaking, something was going on. So I looked out the window and there was a headlight. I thought a semi was running into the house, ran downstairs. There was a motorcycle in our yard tipped over. And I looked out and I saw a dude on the sidewalk and I ran out and I was like, oh, oh, oh. And I went to go take his, you know, blood pressure and he was decapitated. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, and his name was Evan. So then a whole bunch of other bad stuff happened there too. But 10, 15 years after winning the trophy, just called Defenseman of the Year, it was named the Evan Vatnick Trophy. And I didn't know that until, like, I already won the award, but then they named that after him, the guy that died on my lawn. (laughs) That is crazy. It's nuts. That seems like, like a formidable thing like obviously this happened a long time ago for you and I'm one of those people that specializes in gallows humor like I'm one of the people that puts the fun in funeral because (laughs) like like dealing with really serious things like that an accident like Mm -hmm. that in a formative developmental year like when you're a kid it like to have something like that happen, there's no way that that didn't affect you growing up. To see oh, yeah. something so serious at such a young age on your front lawn. Right. Well, and that was like the kind of like, you know, when I've been working my most recent day job, like it's always I've been the guy that runs toward problems. Like I, and that's the first time I realized it because my buddy that I was playing the game with and my mom were both standing on the porch like crying. And I'm out there taking pulses, looking at the other guy. When the police got there, they let me do the flares, you know, to like set up because they were all like, it was hectic. There were two of them. One was looking for his face in the street. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then like a week later, when I was mowing the lawn, I came across one of Evan's shoes. And I was like, (gasps) I don't think I give this back to the family. (laughs) I'll just throw it away. I don't think they'd want a shoe. Oh my God. As somebody that survived a motorcycle accident a few years back, like, yeah, it just, that is one of those moments where you do kind of figure out how you're wired yourself. Right. Oh, yeah. Because there are people that just, like you're saying, like your mom and your friend, that, that freeze in a moment like that. And if you're one of those people and, and we, you know, have thousands of them in the military and that are first responders that oh, yeah. somewhere in themselves, they just have that urge to, to help. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
I, I, if I hear something going on, I, I want to know what's going on and help. <laughs> yeah. And it's having grown up in a, in a first responder family. I also know, you know, with my dad as a firefighter, my mom as a nurse, uncles that are cops, military everywhere. The sense of humor that happens behind the scenes to process that. And yeah. any veteran, any cop, any firefighter that's listening to me right now is nodding because they know that in yeah. order to process what you're dealing with on a daily basis, that other side of the humor, the 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 risk behavior, the you have to funnel that somehow. And obviously having that personality type, you're funneling it through music now and hockey. And terrible sense of humor. Yeah, yes. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yep. Wow, what a crazy story. I Sorry. thought you were going to tell me that, like, they named the Defenseman of the Year trophy after, like, a Boston Bruin or something. Like, that's where I thought that story was going. Like a Ray Bork trophy or something. Right. No, if I saw, if it was said Bobby Orr, I would have been like, huh, that's crazy. But no, it's it's the uh, it's Evan, the guy that I found decapitated on my front sidewalk. Oh, my <laughs> God. But that's why you shouldn't drink and drive on a motorcycle and then run into a car making a left in front of you. Oh, man, that's so brutal. I mean, I tell, huh? I was going to say that. I think that's why my mom was so choked up because the lady that was in the car that they flipped over, she went in our house and she was just, you know. Oh, I can't. What happened? Did I just kill kids? Like, it wasn't your fault. But yeah, I mean, thankfully, my accident like I didn't hurt anybody. I survived and, you know, with some, did you, fi- just, did you just like have a flop or what? Happened? No, somebody, somebody stopped short and I was going down a hill. And when I went to go and stop, I tried to downshift first and my bike got stuck in neutral and Ooh. I was coming really close to like rear ending other motorcycles and pickup trucks and stuff. So I went to lay it down, slid yeah. down the road and then the peg got caught in the ground like in a divot in the road and the bike flipped and I flew like Superman and landed on my helmet, but then on my face and broke. Oh, no shit. Oh yeah. There's all kinds of pictures, uh, on my, on my Facebook page. There's a whole album to the motorcycle accident. And which is why I tell people like, I always wear a helmet. The helmet saved my life. It just wasn't a full face. So yeah. now I wear a full face all the time because I've had too many surgeries to put my face back together. <laughs> uh, well, no, you, you look great. What did you give, like pay him like extra to make you look like younger? And you look oh, great. Oh, thank you. No, they just put my nose back on straight. I look like I was like in the mafia. Uh, like it was all enough. crooked and, you know, whatever. And But I, I appreciate the compliment. Thank you very much. No, I meant it though. I'm not joking. You um, know. When you're growing up, a hockey fan, obviously growing up in Michigan, like you're diehard sports fan, like like here, the Bruins getting ready to celebrate their hundredth anniversary, the centennial season this year. Yeah. Your sports teams are kind of like your identity. Are you still loyal to all the teams that you loved growing up? No, I mean, I'm a Blackhawks fan, so go Connor Bedard. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was lucky enough to grow up with Probert and Kosher and Iserman, but so I grew up going to the Red Wings games, huge hockey fan, but watching Probert and Kosher, like that was growing up. And then, you know, Darren McCarty, like I got to skate with 
Kosher and McCarty. I got to play through a, a friend here. They had the Frozen Four tournament, the hockey tournament for colleges. They had that in the Detroit Lions Ford Field. So I got to play hockey with some of the Red Wings alumni in the dressing room. I'm between Darren McCarty and Joey Kosher, like two of my idols growing up, fisticuffs. And uh, I ended up getting an assist on Mickey Redmond's goal. Oh, my. Well, see, you missed your calling. You became a musician. You should have been a hockey player. Yeah, well, my friend still calls me the turnstile because I don't really have much of a (laughs) – I'm more of a skill observed what I'm doing. I'm not really a hard skater. I don't like to waste my time. I just pass good and shoot. (laughs) There's no worse insult in sports than to be called the turnstile. Turnstile, yep. You're getting right around me, but if I get the puck, you're on a breakaway. Brutal! (laughs) Yep. Well – I want to I want to talk about like the the gap, right? Like Taproot stops touring. Obviously, everything that happened with COVID and WAF for me. So, mm-hmm. what were you doing while Taproot wasn't on the road? And then what was it? Was it a phone call? Was it a chance meeting that got you guys back together to make this new record? Uh, well, honestly, before we did our whole taproot breakup hiatus thing, like after the episodes in 2012, I'd already written 80% of this record scissors that's coming out soon. 80% of it I'd written like to be the next taproot record, probably to have come out in 2013, maybe 14. So it was like already written. So I've just been sitting on this for a long time. And then after my mom passed away, I was like, I need to find an outlet to deal with this. So I started going in the studio. I've been working on this for like eight years almost. Wow. Yeah. Cause I could only do three, four hours a week and I could only do it at like five in the morning to like 10 in the morning once a week. So a lot of this record I did it all myself and it's hilarious because most of the vocals are just scratch tracks and or me actually writing as I went wow. <laughs> at 5.30 at five thirty in the morning. So it's like, yeah. But well, luckily, first of all, um, sorry about your mom. Oh, that's okay. Um, that's an- and then second of all, what were you doing all day if you had to record so early in the morning? Like you you got a non-music job. What were you doing? Oh yeah. I was, uh, I worked with traumatic brain injuries and mental health clients for eight years, but wow. that's like, the, that was the best. Cause I worked in uh, the building. Whenever you'd get a new brain injury patient, they'd have to come into my building and my buildings where all the fun was, where all the assistance calls were, where you get to like wrestle people and hold them down, not restrain, but you know, like, and they were some tough dudes, you know, because they just didn't, if they wanted to fight, they would fight because they knew they could get away with anything they wanted, except, you know, we'd have to hold them down for a couple of minutes and then they'd get up and target them. Like, it was a blast. So that's when I say, like, they'd call assistance to other units. I'd be the first one running there because I know something fun's about to go down. Let's do this. Like, There's so much awesome. more research on brain injury now because of everything that came out with the NFL and CTE and all of that. Um it really is crazy how the mind works. It is. I, I, I've had numerous, numerous concussions. I think I'm probably only one away from being someone that would live in a place like that. I've had 
a lot of head trauma, especially once I started having the seizures. And I think that's all from prior, uh, prior brain injuries. Are you still dealing with all of that stuff now? Yeah, luckily it's been like four years, I think, since my last one. Um, I had a good spell. It was on the last record prior, the episodes we had, you know, our big record release show in our hometown up in Flint. Um, And I ended up having, it was only my second seizure, but it was like a real bad grand mal. And we had to cancel that show. It was the day of the show. (laughs) Next thing you know, I'm in the hospital and the guys are visiting like, are you okay? Like, I'm like, I don't know. Sorry, missed the show. Was it, was it from being in the band? Why did you get concussed so much growing up? Uh, (laughs) I got ran over when I was a kid. (laughs) And, and How just did to be I not know any of this about you? <laughs> it's fucking great. I, I I have to say it, but it was a bad combo. It, it was an Asian female. Really? <laughs> really? Don't blame women being bad drivers because I drive circles around almost every guy I know. I agree. And I don't want to blame Asians either. It's just a bad combo stereotype. Oh my God. And, and this is, and this is back when the stereotypes mattered. It was probably like 81. Oh Jesus. <laughs> so no, that was my first, I probably had a handful, um, probably like six or seven with hockey. I also, one of my worst ones was I got kicked by a skate, severed my chin open. And then it came down on my, carotid and like people are like dude i'm like what (laughs) they're like you need to go look at your face i'm like what it just hurts whatever okay so i go in there i'm like holy cow you know my chin split wide open oh god and then in the peripheral vision i see oh man that's when i freaked out because i I got the skate on the way down too but whatever so being in a band's probably the safest thing for you Pretty much. Yeah. I, I'll just break my hand every night on purpose. I don't mind doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you, my so if you've been working on this album for so long, how did Elias come into the picture? Who I'll just preface by saying is one of my favorite people on the planet. Like I couldn't love Elias Soriano from Nonpoint more than I do. He's no. such an amazing guy. He is. He's smart too. He's a, he knows what he's doing and he's talented as all hell. Um, he's smart. He's talented, but he's one of those people that you don't even have to say anything. Just being in the room with him makes you feel better. He just mm-hmm. exudes this happiness and positivity. Oh yeah. And yep, yep. people like that can get jaded after a while. And he's not one of those people. He's just such an amazing, happy guy. Yeah, and he goes out of his way to just try to make everyone as happy. Yes. Like, you know, he even if you're kind of cuddled up in the corner, he won't he won't be a dick, but he'll come up and razz you up a little bit and at least make you smile, you know, yeah. get your attention. You know, he's he's fucking awesome. He uh it was weird cuz I had the song and the bridge I was open to whatever. I was like, yeah, you know, he would definitely be one, but I wouldn't want him, you know, like, hey, you want to just come help bring a shit funnier fans over to help me out. I didn't want it to seem like that at all. Um, but I go on Instagram live quite a bit late at night when I'm feeling a little, uh, tossed and relaxed. <laughs> and so 
I put out there, I'm like, you know, who would be a good person to guest on, you know, who would you guys want to hear on a song of ours? And it was like, literally he was the most requested by my fans. And so I'm like, all right, not a problem. So uh, I ended up drummer Rob ended up getting a hold of me and he was like, dude, I hear you're maybe thinking about doing something. You would, you want to do it with Elias? I'm like, fuck yeah. Like, I'd love to, that's the goal. So uh, called him up, shot the shit mostly about the music business and how he's tackling everything and he's running his own jam now you know they're not on the whole label and all that whatever he's running the show he's got his company like you do too you know he's figured it all out um so we had that good conversation and i uh, sent him over the tracks and was like write whatever you want to write and i'll probably go with it and i only had him change like two words and you know to get on topic of the song but he just nailed it he only did like two takes sent me the files and i just flew them in and <laughs> good to go i saw the video footage of you guys doing the song together live for the first time and it it's one of those things where it's like nobody else would make sense once once you hear him in the song it's like anybody else that you could have gotten wouldn't have made as much sense as elias right oh for sure yeah no it's uh it was so cool that he did that too, because, you know, I'd mentioned like, Hey, you know, we're coming up, you know, I'll make sure to put it early enough in the set so you can still have your time to get ready, you know, right. do your stuff. He was like, okay, cool. So you went and listened to it a whole bunch of times, you know, I'm sure and came out and nailed it, but it was crazy. That was only the second time we've actually played the song as a band. And then part of our click tracks disappeared. So we were like kind of on edge, but he just kept it going. And we were like, sweet. And, no, it was it was a blast, and I don't know. Like, I think we're gonna get to do it hopefully again sometime soon. But there's, yeah, like you said, what he brings to the track is phenomenal, and I think the track is awesome. But he only made it like perfect to me. We're talking about the song "Favorite Son," um, just in case we lost anybody wondering which song we're talking about. <laughs> the album "Scissors" is the return of Taproot, and now that. You've got new music out, and obviously the band is together and playing shows. It's got to be kind of nice for you to reconnect with old Taproot fans, myself included, after all this time. But it's also it kind of got to be a trip, like what you were saying, looking out in the crowd and seeing all of those original Taproot fans and then seeing that their kids are at the show. <laughs> right <laughs> or their grandparents <laughs> we're getting up there i don't know like in the south there might be some grandparents with their grandkids but no it, it is a trip it's really cool um it's it's just really cool to do again you know it was it was quite some time off i loved my job that i had but now that you know like you said the the era has kind of worked its way back full circle <laughs> It's just really good times, you know, like two years ago, I wasn't a picture going out playing like we played a couple random, you know, like whatchamacallit anniversary shows like we've probably played three shows over the last 10 years or something. But uh, it's it's got that rekindled like, man, like this, this could be a fun gig, you know, like and if, if favorite song actually ends up working, I might actually consider like touring and not just doing two weekend dates. <laughs> so. Hopefully that thing fires up. We'll see. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what what are the plans for the band now? Like, 
Is it one of those wait and see things? Are you itching to get back out on the road? If you got asked to be on a tour, is that what you're waiting for? Like, like, because it's a huge trust fall when you've had a quote unquote stable job and you've got a family mm-hmm. that you can't just go out on the road and eat mud like you could when you were 18 because you've got adult responsibilities now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Um, no, I mean, I quit literally just because of the Blue Ridge show and we started adding other shows. I'm like, well, I can't keep saying I can't work these weekend dates because that's my shift. So I ended up quitting my job just to make the rest of this year work for the shows. Um, as far as touring, we ended up turning down a tour. Um, it was only going to be like two or three weeks for our leg of it, but just we could have made it work, but it just wasn't worth it for us to miss the family. It wasn't paying well. And we were limited to like merch options, which is the only way bands make money is their merch people. Just so you don't know if you don't know. Yeah. Well, um, we talk about it all the time. <clears throat> now that we've had a chance to kind of look back at the digital age of the music business, I took a lot of shit back in the day for sticking up for Lars with the Napster oh, yeah. stuff Napster. Yep. because music fans were like, well, I just want the music. But my argument was always, well, the bands can't make the music for free. So we're going to have to pay in other ways. And now $125 concert tickets and $50 t-shirts. Right. Lars was right. Yeah. And if you're oh, yeah. that you gotta, the, the bands have to get paid diesel fuel and trucks, tour buses, lights, recording studios, None of these things are cheap and they're definitely not free. Absolutely not. No, it's, yeah, it's a pain in the butt. I remember when that happened too, like right when we heard about that Napster thing, that's right when we found out that our album got leaked, like gift, our first record got leaked. We still ended up selling like 300,000, but it, it came out two months early. Like that probably could have been a gold record back then. But. Well, that's, that's the thing is that, People looked at a guy like Lars, like, you've got enough money, dude. What are you complaining about? But Taproot's a perfect example where your first album leaks a couple months early when you've just got a song hitting the radio and there's a whole marketing plan behind getting you guys off the ground and getting you on OzFest tours Mm -hmm. and all of this stuff. And like you said, it could have been a gold record, the certification of a gold album, opens doors it's it's a steamroller effect of like you know the the digital way that things happened back then in that era going Mm -hmm. from physical music to digital music that was not an easy transition for anybody but especially newer bands that got swept up in it like you guys did yeah i can't imagine nowadays trying to start our uh our new guitarist uh Taylor, he's his band's doing pretty good figuring out stuff, you know, his band writing with killers. They're really good, but he's doing like our shows and then he's going to open up for other national artists with his band and then coming back and doing our shows. So it's going good for him. Like he's got a lot of talent and a lot of knowledge too with how the I I just look at Spotify and I'm like, huh, how many spins does that get? Okay, that's like four cents, <laughs> maybe. Well after like ten thousand spins. Well, Snoop Dogg has been talking about that and there's great video of him on like TikTok saying like it was really easy to figure out when we were selling CDs how much money I was going to get 
Mm-hmm. And now there's no standardized way to figure out what these streams are generating revenue-wise. I remember right. right after Rogan signed his deal with Spotify, I interviewed Sean Morgan from Seether. Okay. And he was congratulating me on launching the podcast because it was early oh, yeah. on in the podcast. And I was like, well, I won't be happy until I make Rogan money. As a joke, <laughs> right? Yeah. And he yeah. didn't understand the reference because he hadn't heard... And so when I told him that Rogan, you know, rumor has it that he got between $100 million and $200 million to sign with Spotify, Sean Morgan was like, wait, what? Right. Because they built their their brand off of the back of musicians. Musician, yeah. And we're getting paid shit for the streams that, that they generate. And the music is why people go to Spotify. And they just gave all that money to Rogan. <laughs> Yeah. Who already yep. has a successful podcast, obviously, before he went to Spotify only. And I, I remember having that conversation with Sean Morgan and he was just like, when is that money going to come to the artists that are making the music right. that these streaming platforms are built on? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. It's, I don't know. I don't get it. There's. I know that there's a bill being proposed to allow indie artists to kind of collectively bargain to like all the indie artists to kind of get together and collectively bargain, but it, it has to get passed through Congress first, but things are right. changing so much. I mean, just between the time that I met you and now music, radio, all of it, it's so different. Everything. It is. Everything. So, well, yeah, it's a different world too. It's like the United Auto Workers going on right here in Michigan right now. It's yeah. Like, maybe we have to do that with some of the streaming, but I keep streaming my song. I'm just trying to keep playing it, playing it, playing it, play it. See if I can get the count up. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't. Pay, I don't pay for premium, so I don't get to choose when it comes on. Oh right. Yeah. Can't um, do that. I can't. Well, before I let you go, I want to ask you some questions that kind of came out of the uh, the podcast. Um, okay. The first one is a songwriting question because, like I said, you know, my clarinet days are gone. My songwriting career never got off the ground. Aww. But you are a songwriter. So, first of all, how does it work? Is it riff based lyric based melody based and then looking at other people's music what's a song that you think is perfect that someone else wrote that you're like man i wish i wrote that song uh obviously that's a hard one to answer like for me our biggest song poem i intentionally wrote to be a single just to be a dick and be like, this is how easy it is to write a single. <laughs> so we were on Ozfest. I went on to the back of the bus and I'm like, huh, what's something everyone knows in case of fire, break the glass. So that's what it started with. What am I going to write around that? Well, I'll bitch and moan about my psychosis after seeing things that I've talked about, you know, that I have anxiety and all that jazz, but at least it's me expressing stuff on the verses. So that was lyrics first. Uh, well, chorus lyrics first. And then when it comes to the riffs, I always just find the riffs. Like a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the old Taproot stuff was me writing the guitar riffs too. Like it's, <laughs> I've been the guitarist. 
So uh, writing, you know, the heavy riff of that with the chorus, like that was easy to me. I did it in like five minutes. Um, but like now it just depends. Usually there's a song on the, on the new record scissors called Ma that I wrote about her passing. And that one to me, I wrote the guitar lick first and it starts off really pretty, but then it gets eerie, but then it gets pretty again. So it's like kind of weird. Um, so I did the guitars first and then I just wrote the lyrics around that. And that's like probably one of my favorite songs ever. It's like got all the nice three part harmony. So I did my little tribute to Lane on that one, but that's a cool song. So that one was different. Um, but <laughs> if I'm thinking about other, there's one song that sticks in my head that is like, oh, I would not that I wish I would have wrote it, but I wish that other people would like respect it as much as I do. But it's the Avenged Sevenfold, uh, Avenged Sevenfold. What's a, a little piece of heaven? <laughs> and it's just because basically it's a good quality metal band that you know, great vocalist, great guitarist, this and that. But they went off the wall and basically did a Mr. Bungle song. <laughs> and I love Mr. Bungle too. So it's just like, I that's like one of my favorite songs. It's like seven and a half minutes. It's left, right, left, right, up, down, whatever. The lyrics are kind of awful if you know what they're about. But my wife thinks it's like a love song. So <laughs> my wife's not too huge into, you know, like the heavier type of music at all. Um, but even she and the kids will listen to that, that one, not knowing what it's about, but you know, it's very sing along and it sounds romantic, even though it's about, you know, sleeping with your dead <laughs> wife or whatever. Well, they <laughs> blue oyster cult still says that don't fear the reapers, a love song too. So you just never know. <laughs> right. Right. For sure. I feel like guys like Mike Patton and like Perry Farrell are guys that look at the world and they see a completely different world than we do. For sure. You know, it's like they've got like these contact lenses on their eyes that change the world the way that they see it. I just don't feel like guys like that view anything the way that most of us do, that they're just they just see everything differently. And it obviously comes out in the music. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's probably why he's I mean, I knew him from Mr. Bungle before I did from Faith No More and like that's one of my when i was playing drums that was one of my you know it was slayer metallica whatever but mr bungle and primus were you know like kind of the other side of what i like playing drums to but that first mix mr bungle records probably you know if you said eh, if you were stranded on an island only had three cds mr bungle's first record would be one of them yeah <laughs> so that's that's why i don't know the event sevenfold take i don't think they tried to make it sound like mr bungle probably did but like that song to me isn't one that i wish i would have wrote but one that i really respect for being so different and so really good honestly well the new album scissors uh is out and you guys are actually going to be up in my neck of the woods so you're going to see me couple shows in new england you're going to be at the vault in new bedford on november 2nd and at wally's at hampton beach on November 3rd. And that place is insane. Wally's yes. is a lot of fun. Yes, it is. I look forward to that for sure. Well, I look forward to seeing you guys too. It was so good to see you again. Likewise. God, it's been forever. I know it has been forever. So thank like you to big red. 
Oh, fuck yeah. Thank that guy. <laughs> yeah. Thank him for going bowling. Yes, exactly. Well, I'm sorry that your show at Blue Ridge got canceled, but I'm glad you went bowling with Big Red and now I got you on the show. And um, uh, Scissors available everywhere. And the song, favorite song is uh, featuring Elias Soriano from Nonpoint is out right now and you can find it everywhere. Hell yeah. It was so Sorry. good to see you. I'll see you at Wally's for sure. Okay. It's a date. No, it's so good to see you. Like, it's honestly, like you meant so much. Like <laughs> I had an interview a couple months ago and I just saw like a picture of whoever it was. And I'm like, is it really? Is it really? Yes, yes, yes. And it wasn't. I was like, oh, fuck. Because <laughs> like, I, I didn't have the info ahead of time. So I get on. I'm like, oh, there's a lot fuck. more purple haired people now than there was back in the day. But I'm I'm claiming OG status. Oh, no, you, you are OG status. Like, <laughs> you know, There's only a couple other people like it's weird because between you and the three kids, you know, Jose um, and Kayla that went to Sirius. Yep. Those three kids were the pirate station out of like New Jersey. I don't know if it's Seton Hall, whatever school that was. They were like the other people that kind of, you know, pushed us in that side of the state or mm -hmm. New York area. Next thing you know, they're running serious. I literally know, like just saw Jose at Spencer Charnas's um, Silver Scream Con. Spencer from Ice Nine Kills. Yeah. He does a big horror convention in Massachusetts because that's where the band is from. Mm -hmm. And I went and and I saw Jose there. That's fucking sweet. Yeah, you know, it's it crazy. Cool. Ice Nine Kills first tour was opening for us. No way, really? Yeah, and now they're way bigger. <laughs> well, now they're opening up for Metallica, which I talked. Spencer just came on the show a few weeks ago. And uh -oh. um, and I asked him that because, you know, at WAF, like we were playing him years ago. And I was like, dude, you're you're opening for Metallica. Not only that, mm -hmm. but next August, he's going to be at Gillette Stadium in Massachusetts opening for Metallica where the Patriots play. I was like... Yeah. Oh, fucking right. Like, I'm like, has this, has this wrapped around your brain? And he was like, and he was like, no, it's the craziest thing. And I was that's like, awesome. your guest list for that show must be crazy. Insane. Yeah, wow, but he that's... promised he was going to put me on it. So Spencer, if you're listening, I'm holding you to that. Well, yeah. Well, if you talk to him again, say, hey, man. I, I definitely will. Too. I definitely that's will. Awesome. But it was so funny. I turned around and literally, I was like, is that Jose Mangan right there? So I went over and said hi. And um, he's doing great, obviously. So it was really cool to bump into him. Yeah, I'm starting to try to blast the shit out. I want to get on Octane. Fuck this. <laughs> I want to get some spin somewhere. Well, hopefully being on the Mistress Carrie podcast will help. It will only help. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> no. well, You're very well known, but you know that. Well, the... I'm so happy that you guys are back. The new album is out, hitting the road. Like, this is all really good stuff. So congratulations. It was good to Thank see you. And I'll see you Thank at you. Wally's up at Hampton Beach. It's a date. You have a good one. There he is, the one and only Stephen Richards from Taproot. The new album, Scissors, is available everywhere. And the new single, Favorite Song, features Elias Soriano from Nonpoint. Get more details on the album and find all of Stephen's links and all of the links for the band. Just check the show notes of this episode. 
You'll also find the links to go see them on November 2nd at the Vault in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and on November 3rd at Wally's at Hampton Beach in New Hampshire. And you'll find the link to this episode's corresponding playlist. I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast that features all of my guest music and all the songs and artists that we referenced in the interview. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, on weekdays, you get the sit rep, which takes about five minutes and gives you all of your rock news, music headlines, and entertainment updates. You can join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my official Facebook page for my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. And you can always find me on the radio. Get the details on all that and more at mistresscarry.com. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.